Well, it's midnight, so good as time as I need to do a podcast. Am I right, Tony? Absolutely, man. I got nothing better to do. The whole family's asleep. This NFL news just broke a little while ago, and we didn't have a time, a chance to react to it. So why not do it now? Yeah, I mean, we're gonna pull in so many listeners. I can just, I can see them populating the the, the room right now. So give us a little thumbs up emoji. Good job, guys. Um, <laughs> I'll give us one. <laughs> I give us one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the joke if you're not looking at your phone. Okay, so the, the news that broke at this point, by the time you listened to it yesterday, I'm sure you're well aware, unless you you know, you know don't follow every single thing that Shefty tweets like I do. Um, so Cleo Mack is being traded by the Bears for this year's um, Los Angeles Chargers second-round pick and their next year's sixth-round pick, if I recall correctly. So not a ton of the way of assets, but the biggest deal for the um, the biggest deal, biggest part of the deal, I should say, is that the Chargers are maintaining all of Cleo Mack's, I believe, seventeen point five or seventeen point nine million dollar salary cap hit. So that's a, you know, a huge part of why the Bears did it. In my opinion, is they're trying to get away from from that really large, massive cap figure when they know that that team is not going. Yeah, um, just kind of looking at this. It is interesting to see how this trade kind of happened because this is one that I'll be honest, I was not expecting to see. Uh, I didn't think the Bears were going to be making any kind of splash moves uh, in the in the off season this year. I, I guess this is this doesn't really count as a splash move for the Bears, does it? I guess it counts as more of a splash move for the Chargers. But regardless, I do want to point out something real quick: is that when you're looking at the Bears sack leaders this past season, uh. Their linebacker unit is where they get the majority of their sacks. And according to lineups, the Bears were actually really, really solid on defense in terms of sacks. They were tied for third in the league at 49 total sacks. That's behind uh, Minnesota Vikings at 51 and the Pittsburgh Steelers at 55 and tied with the Rams at 49. So this is a very, very high caliber defense in terms of sacks. And when you break it down in terms of their sack leaders, they actually have Robert Quinn at linebacker was their sack leader at 18 and a half sacks. That's be- That's good for second in the league, uh, the second most in the league this past season, which is phenomenal. Their second guy that they had in terms of sacks was Gibson, who was also a linebacker. He had seven sacks. And if you look past that, now that you're taking Khalil Mack out, their third guy and their first defensive tackle, who uh, granted he only did play nine games this past season, he only had three and a half. So a very interesting trend that we are seeing out of Chicago is that they're relying very heavily on their linebacking court to get into the backfield and get these sacks while the defensive line is responsible for less of pushing the quarterback and more of stopping the run. Because they have moved Khalil Mack to primarily linebacker uh, throughout his kind of tenure with the Bears, if you look on pro football reference, he's actually listed as uh linebacker every single year that he was with Chicago even though he did play a lot on the line he is technically the linebacker because they are so deep at that position and because he is so expensive I don't hate this trade for Chicago at first I did but looking at the stats and looking at the depth they have at the position and how much cheaper they have that depth at I kind of like this even if they didn't acquire all that much for him yeah I mean look the the best way I can describe it is that it's a good trade for a 
a, a team that knows it's not going anywhere. Because, I, I mean, that has to be at the end of the day what this trade is, is that it's a team that recognizes we are, you know, we this is new management, new GM, new coach. It's time to blow it up and try and, and build around Justin Fields and let's let's sell assets that we can afford to sell. Because like you said, that depth is, is very profound. And if we can do it at a cheaper price, then that is the best way to move forward. Let's free up nearly $20 million in cap this year alone. I mean, I think the, the cap it gets bigger in the next couple of years. That's something that the Chargers are going to have to deal with. But yeah, I, I honestly, I don't hate this trade either. Now, I would have liked to have seen them get more in terms of assets and maybe eat a little bit more of Khalil's salary just because you have that cheap young rookie quarterback. And I don't think they have any plans to really, if, if you're being transparent and honest, they're not going to compete for a title this year. So if I could have maybe gotten a first instead of a second, or um, a second and a third instead of a second and a six, maybe I would have hung on to a little bit more of Khalil's salary. But other than that, I really can't knock the trade. Yeah, and looking at, this is something that I, I am kind of interested to see, kind of like the backstory, the behind the curtains, if you will, of this Khalil Mack trade is if you look at his current contract, he has a $17.75 million cap hit for 2022, $22.9 million cap hit for 2023, and then a $23.25 million cap hit for 2024. But the interesting thing about this contract is, is that there is a potential out clause for the 2022 season. So I would be interested to see if maybe the Bears tried to rework a contract uh, kind of without telling anybody, and it just wasn't able to happen. So instead of you know continuing to try to go back and forth with this guy, they probably just realized, hey, we have the facilities to you know kind of get through this these next couple seasons with the guys that we have at this crazy depth. I wonder if we can just dump this contract off to somebody else. And if so, I'm curious to see if the Chargers are going to try to rework the contract and see if they have any more luck with that than the Bears did. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that he probably would take a bit of a pay cut to, main, to, to stay in Los Angeles. But a big part of this is that if you have Khalil Mack and you have a young Justin Herbert, Herbert's going to continue to be cheap. and he's you know, But he's only going to be cheap for a couple of years, so that's a really good point. And that I think... You know, um, 2023, it's a, a nearly $23 million cap hit. 2024, it's a $23 million cap hit. And then in 25, it's technically a void year. But at that point, he's 34. So I don't think that he's going to be, you know, fetching a pretty penny. I feel old knowing that Khalil Mack is 31. Like the Bears, the Bears truly wasted that man's prime. It's, it's honestly kind of sad. Yeah, I, I mean. This is another kind of case of there have been multiple players throughout, you know, the history of this show where we've talked about players and we've talked about how they are either overhyped over their stats just because of their name or kind of under under the radar just because of their name, even though their stats are great. And I think Khalil Mack has recently become one of those guys that's a little overrated. He had a wonderful year in 2018 for the Chicago Bears. That was his first year uh, with the Bears. He had 12 and a half sacks two fumble recoveries, six forced fumbles. He had an interception for uh, a pick six even. Like, he did phenomenal things. He finished second in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation, AP, first-team All-Pro, all that good stuff. Since then, though, he hasn't quite lived up to that. He's kind of been on the decline. He's still been a very good player, but I don't think he's worth the money that they've been paying him, especially with this past year. He only played seven games. He came off that foot injury, 
or he is coming off that foot injury this coming year, I would be very interested to see how they work with Khalil Mack in trying to get him back from injury, especially with the Chargers having Joey Bosa on the field as well at the DN position. And then on top of that, I would be curious to see, are they going to do what the Raiders did and push him back to that defensive end position? Or are they going to format him how the Chicago Bears had him and keep him at linebacker? Part of me, if I'm the Chargers, would kind of want to throw him on the other end of that D-line across from Joey Bosa, just so that no matter what, they're both going to have to be double teamed. I think Joey Bosa is the more dominant of the two players, but I feel like most O-lines are going to have to double team both of them and maybe take a mediocre linebacker and just give him a free shot every other play. That could be a recipe for success with two out of three great players and having just a mediocre linebacker be a huge playmaker just because the other two guys are taking so much. It's interesting that you talk about that from an X's and O's perspective because I was actually thinking you leave him kind of high up as a linebacker and then you have to force the line to, you know, basically shift protection to that side pretty much every other play. And then you can, you know, you can ship down uh, a safety or have a cornerback blitz every now and then just to keep the, the offensive line on their toes. But you need, you know, it would force the other team to commit a lot of assets to that side. You could probably take away a lot of, basically, you know, a lot of runs on that side. So that would be... That would be what I would do. But, I mean, you can't go wrong with those two weapons together. I think that it's going to be kind of insane to, to honestly have them on the same side. I do think it's interesting. What will be really interesting is to see how L.A. is able to handle the salary ramifications of picking up Cleo Mack. Because you're right. Like, you know, looking at his Zelo score, he's definitely not worth um, the price that he's fetching right now. That contract, you know, when, when Chicago signed him that contract, it was kind of with the assumption that they would win a Super Bowl within within the, the confines of that contract, and obviously that never happened. And so now the contract is going to age really poorly, as it feels like these, these longer-term contracts typically end up doing. But let's focus on the, the Chargers side, because I, I am interested, like, with the Bears. Give a grade for the Bears, because I was actually, I gave them a, a B. A grade for the Bears? Hmm. The only reason I'm going to give them a decent grade is because they do have such depth at the position, uh, at that linebacker position. I'm also going to give them a B. I think that in terms of just cut and dry, plain and simple, did you get an equal amount back than what you traded away? I don't think they did. But just because they have so much depth at that position and because they are freeing up so much cap space into the 2023 season, specifically, I think they have a ton of cap space now that they've let him go. I do think that this is a B uh, overall trade for them for, you know, kind of less obvious reasons than most normal trades would be. I honestly, the reason I'm giving a B is just for the cap room alone. Like that's just so huge as you're trying to kind of go in and, and rebuild as you're getting that off your books and definitely don't want to have, you know, $20 million in a, in a, in an aging asset. So yeah. I think that that's, that's why it gets such a decent grade. I even go, I think it had just gotten a little bit of a better trade ass, like, you know, of a pick, maybe instead of like a fifth or a fourth, maybe it moves up to a B plus, but solid move. I respect it. It definitely was a surprise, but looking at um, over the cap, he has a, $5.5 million roster bonus due on, on March 19th. So I kind of understand the urgency and why this maybe. Yeah, I agree. I think if, I think they could have, you know, flipped their cards a little bit better to try to get some more assets for Khalil Mack, just because even if his, even if he's, you know, coming off an injury 
he does have a history of being excellent. And maybe he's not as excellent as he was in 2018, but that's still recent enough where he still has a bunch of name value. I feel like if they really wanted to, they could have pushed for maybe a second and a third round pick. If they would have done that, I think I would have given them, you know, B plus, A minus range. Other than that, I think this is this is really a good move for the Bears. For sure. And and for the Chargers, I mean, they're obviously not giving up a lot in the way of assets. They're certainly not depriving themselves of picks. I mean, good Lord, a second, uh, you know, what, Mac went for a couple of firsts back when the original trade happened. So a second and, and six is, is incredibly cheap. And the fact that they're spread out over the course of a couple of years, too, means that the, the Chargers are still going to be able to have good draft classes to come and continue and replenish the roster. So I have to imagine that on paper, this is a very good um, setup. And I would imagine that I don't think that this is in response to the Broncos getting Russell Wilson. I would imagine that as most trades do, this one took a lot of time and wasn't done just overnight. Like most fans might think that maybe some trades are just done overnight. Um, but I think that this was something that was probably a couple of weeks in the making. I would imagine the combine at at the, the, the most recent. Um, but I, I think the Chargers made the right move. Like they have now added an incredible weapon. They were one of the worst teams by rushing. According to lineups, I believe they were 30th in rushing yards allowed. So I would imagine that Mac is going to help on that front too. And, you know, to be fair, part of that is how Brandon Staley plays defense. It's how he coaches his defense. He wants a light tackle box to, you know, kind of trick quarterbacks into opting into their runs because he prefers that you run instead of pass the ball. So I think that that's, you know, a little bit of, of the explanation. But in that Raiders game specifically, the Chargers just could not stop the run. And if they had stopped the run, maybe they would have made the playoffs. So I think that this is that's probably what spurred this in action more than Russell Wilson going to the Broncos. Like I've seen a little. Yeah, absolutely. I think this was a really, really good move for the Chargers. They got a great asset. Uh, even, you know, even if he's waning, even if he's getting to the back end of his career, they got a great value for the picks that they sent away. A second and a six, more like more than likely, those are probably not going to amass to be anything spectacular for you. Looking at lineups, like you said, they did rank 30th in rush yards allowed. They also ranked 27th in rush attempts, 29th in rushing touchdowns, 27th in total touchdowns. They were overall tied with the Atlanta Falcons for the third worst defense in the NFL last season. The Jacksonville Jaguars were actually ahead of them by one spot overall as a kind of a reference as to how bad they really were. In the passing game, they were top half of the league in most metrics. They were 12th in passing yards allowed, 9th in pass attempts allowed, 7th in pass completions, and they were right on the average mark of 16th in pass touchdowns allowed. So they were certainly better in the passing department, which is why I do think it's a really good idea that they're you know, focusing their offseason attention on the run game and figuring that out, especially since as we've kind of talked about previously on the show, if you can get a really strong defensive line and you can get a really good rush, not only can you help bottle up the the run game, you can also apply pressure on that quarterback and then in turn help the the secondary with probably a, little, a few more poor throws or a few more off-time throws that can become uh, different opportunities for them as well. So uh, I personally believe that a great D-line is the key to a great offense. Yes, a great secondary is awesome, but I think of a great, a great rush can help in both departments, whereas a great, a great, you know, secondary can only help really against the pass primarily. So I think this is awesome. Yeah, I mean, and you know, because the Chargers have Justin Herbert on a cheap quarterback deal, I mean, this is why you do it, right? You go all in, you get the great defense, 
it almost feels like they're trying to mimic the the Seahawks a little bit, where you have a rook, a young rookie quarterback and a great defense. Now, it's not you know it's obviously not perfect, but the the point is kind of still the same: amass a great defense, and while you have your cheap quarterback, and the Chargers actually have twenty five million in cap space still. So this is not going to be the last big move I think that the Chargers make. I, you know, expect them to make a lot of fra- of flashy free agency moves. I could see them beefing up their offensive line because you got to protect the future. I could also see them continuing to spend in the defense, specifically on the D line. Uh, so you know, this is the first of what I would anticipate are many exciting moves for our Chargers. Yeah, absolutely. We've been so big on the Chargers for really since Justin Herbert got in there now, and I am very, very interested to see what the what the Chargers are able to do uh, with the cap space that they do have, according to over the cap uh, for the 2022 season. Chargers are listed at 24 and a half million dollars left in available cap space, so I do think that they have some stuff that they can work with. What's really interesting is in 2023. Uh, we, we see kind of a shift for the Bears. So the Bears obviously freed up a ton of cap space. That's awesome and great. They're at about $30 million in 2022. 2023, they're up to $121.4 million in cap space. So they certainly next season are going to have a ton of room to work with different things. Whereas the Chargers, are they're still looking good at $61 million. That's still a ton. But they are going to start coming up on some of these rookies that they're going to have to resign. And it is going to start becoming an issue whereas the Bears really have a ton of room to do with whatever they please. Yeah, I mean, to give context to that list, there's only one team that's over the salary cap the for the projected 2023 season, and that's the Cowboys. I mean, even the Saints, with their absurd $60 million over the cap for, for this upcoming season, are, are under the cap in 2023. So just because that's where they are right now, I mean, you know, it's not exactly perfect because – you know, a lot of contracts in free agency are going to make those numbers come down. But yeah, the point still stands. Like you said, the Bears have freed themselves up to become very flexible in in the near future. So we've had a lot of dramatic moves in the AFC West. And I think the pecking order that was established just by this season in the playoffs specifically, Chiefs still reign in the AFC West. And then I would say it's, it's the Raiders and the Chargers, and they're very close together. You could probably pick one or the other, and then the Broncos. After all the trades that happened this week, what's the order now for you? Because I, for me personally, I still want to say it's probably Chiefs. Then then I'm almost convinced that I want to say Broncos, Chargers, Raiders. Um, but I could, see, I could see the Chargers going either second or third. This is where it gets tough, because I think that we can all agree that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be the number one more often than not. So I think that I can pretty solidly assume that they're going to be right there. I do think that we're going to see some shakeup in the two, three, four slots. I think that based off of this past season, the Raiders finished second, 10 and seven. The Chargers are right behind at nine and eight. I think that with this trade and with another year for Herbert, this defense getting better, uh, honestly, they can't get much worse. So I do see them only being able to pretty much go up from where they were. I think that they are going to flip over the Raiders. And at that point, it's just going to become, will the Raiders fall all the way to fourth now that the Broncos have Russ? Or are they going to continue on this kind of hot streak that they had? Because let's not forget, the Raiders started out really strong. They finished at 10-7, and but the only reason that they finished as well as they did is because they started off the season so hot. 
if you're looking at point differential for the AFC West, the Las Vegas Raiders are actually the only team that was negative in that division. The Chiefs were plus 116, the Chargers were plus 15, the Broncos were plus 13, and the Raiders were minus 65, and they still finished second. So that's kind of uh, an ode to how well they started and how poorly they finished. And it really just depends on which team we see next year. The Raiders could very easily be the worst team in this division by a pretty wide margin if they cannot, if they can figure out how to not start in this lucky, uh, what seems like a lucky start that they had this past season. So I think it's honestly going to be Chiefs, then Chargers, then Broncos, then Raiders. Part of me wants to put the Broncos at second over the Chargers just because we know that the baseline for the two defenses, the, the Broncos are markedly better, and we expect them to continue to get better because, as we as we said when we did the Russell episode, they're a very young squad, and that's you know they're only going to kind of improve with age. Whereas the Chargers, you know, they have yet to even really be a young squad because their defense is not very good. So I think, as much as I am a huge Chargers fan, I have I have the hat. I committed to the bit. Tony still needs to buy the hat. Um, I think I'm going to put the Broncos at second just because they've they've leveled the playing field. Like if there was one thing that was holding them back last year, it was the quarterback position. So I think I have to take the Broncos at second, but with with the caveat that the Chargers are very hot. On- yeah, I do think that on the surface, right out, you know, right up, right as soon as we saw this trade. I also would probably put the Broncos at second, but after looking at how poor their O-line is and how few weapons they really have, it makes it tough for me to put them up there because I do think the Chargers are significantly more dominant on offense, but like you said, the Broncos are likely going to be significantly more dominant on defense. So it's really just a matter of, okay, the Broncos have improved their offense, the Chargers have likely improved their defense, which one is going to be able to counter the other one better? I think it's going to be really, really close no matter which way you put them, but I do think the Chargers are going to have a little bit of an edge because let's not forget, yes, they the Broncos got Russell Wilson, but even the best quarterbacks in a new, you know, kind of an, in a new team, right, right, even at the beginning of the offseason in a trade like this, they still have to learn that system. And the Denver Broncos seem to be a completely different system from how Seattle was. So it'll be interesting to see how Russ is able to learn and adapt to this new offense and figure out how to play with these completely new guys. Because honestly, I think that the the Denver offense is significantly worse than the Seattle offense. I would honestly imagine that that's in part true, but you also have to remember that with Russell coming to Denver, you know, I would imagine that they're going to kind of cater to what Russell does, obviously, because, you know, one, new coaching staff, so they're probably, you know, it's not going to be like they're, they're going to be looking at last year's playbook and being... Yeah, so this is the Teddy B playbook, and none of this is usable for Russell Wilson. I would imagine that this coaching staff has probably known that they're trying to acquire Russell Wilson, so they've built a playbook and probably hired people with Russell Wilson in mind. So I think that there might be a little bit less catching up than um, th- than you'd imagine, just because you know you're going to build the offense around this guy, like the like the Broncos did with Peyton. Yeah, but then you have to beg the question: Is it better to change a player to an offense or change an offense to a player because at that point if it were to be like that where they are kind of catering the playbook to Russell Wilson specifically then you have to imagine well now all other 10 guys on the field are going to have to relearn that playbook when they are used to the one from last year and this doesn't seem like it'd be that crazy of a big deal you know for receivers it's all the same routes it's just probably different names of plays 
The receivers aren't as good as he had in Seattle. The O-line, it's extremely important for them to be perfectly in sync for all of these plays and for them to have to learn a completely new playbook. As intelligent as offensive linemen are, contrary to popular belief, I do think it could cause some, you know, kind of issues in that first maybe five, six weeks, which could be the difference. Yeah, but I mean, they already have a new coaching staff coming in. Like, to some degree, they're already going to learn a new playbook. And it's not like a coach is like, oh, this is the terminology used last year. Well, we'll do it your way. No, the coach coaching staffs come in with their own terminology, and the players have to learn the, the terminology to the coaching staff. Um, and that's why coaches will tend to bring veterans with them from location to location that, or pick up veterans who have, they've used in their systems before because they're familiar with the terminology and can, can almost help with the translation because you're right. It's like speaking another language, and you can't afford for taking, a, taking that half second to translate the language. But I think that, look, with Russ being so different from Teddy, it's not like I'm – trying, I'm trying to think of a good comparison. It's not like um, – Teddy Bridgewater is replacing Ben Roethlisberger, and they're practically like the same quarterback. They're both very, very pocket quarterbacks. And, and by uh, Roethlisberger, I mean very like more late career. You know, he's not moving out of the pocket more, and he's you know he's doing a lot of shorter passes. It's basically Teddy Bridgewater. You know, this is these are two very di- different players. Russ is such a dynamic force that's going to be utilizing a lot of you know, uh, outside of the pocket plays. So I think that they have to cater to him. I mean, like, if you're not going to cater to Russ, why did you bring him? Well, honestly, even if you're not going to cater to him, you bring him on because what's your alternative? Like, I would rather have a great, I don't even want to say great, honestly. I'd rather have a significantly above average quarterback, borderline great quarterback, that doesn't really know the system than to have an average quarterback that knows it decently well. Like, I just think that there's so much more potential for a guy like Russell Wilson in any system than there is in Teddy B in a system he liked. Yeah. I'm I'm just saying that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not as worried about the adjustment because, you know, Russ is a vet. Maybe if it was a younger quarterback, but you know, Russ is now an experienced veteran as crazy as that is to believe um, for, you know, for, for people like me anyway, who feel like it was just yesterday, they, they watched them, you know, beat the Broncos. It's good. That's also got to be a little bit awkward for, for Broncos fans, I'd imagine. But, yeah, uh, it does have to be kind of tough. I, I believe, according to ESPN, it was actually the first instance of a quarterback who beat a team in the Super Bowl, then going and being their starting quarterback. So that's a, that's a fun little, little history maker for us. <laughs> Interesting tidbit. Okay. Yeah, but but anyway, we'll have to we'll have to do our our uh, deep dives and kind of come up with a ranking later on. But because it's past midnight, uh, I definitely am ready to call it. Uh, if you are Tony, yeah, let's let's go ahead and call. This is a good episode. All right. Well, I don't know if we're going to do an episode on Friday, guys, just because we've now done three mini episodes this week. I mean, that's basically an hour of content. Tony and I will figure it out, and you know, we probably won't see you Friday, but we might see you Saturday or Sunday. So take care, everybody. See you guys.